The following message was recorded at Beth Zion Messianic Synagogue in Jackson, New Jersey. Join us every Saturday and learn to see the truth of Messiah through Jewish eyes. Today's portion is called, oops, let me find that back again. Uh, is Bishalach after he had let go. This is after Pharaoh had let the people go. And God had promised that he would deliver them. He said that Pharaoh would not let him go except by the strong hand of God moving to bring about these changes. And it raised the question, which is the title for today, what does real freedom look like? What does real freedom look like? Sometimes when we're in a state of oppression like they were back then, they were enslaved. They had very harsh experiences with their taskmasters and, uh, and, and basically being no more than property, uh, doing all of the work and having nothing for it but sorrow. And the labor and the oppression over them was very intense. And sometimes we can lose sight of hope when things are so intense around us. But when we say, what does real freedom look like? Real freedom is not just being free from what temporarily is oppressing us. Real freedom has to go deeper than that. Real freedom goes to the very core of our being. Real freedom means there's opportunity that is coming for us that is more than just relief from whatever has been externally harming us. And yet, when we're going through difficult times, the only thing we're really looking for is relief from the distress and relief from whatever is oppressing us. We're not thinking about how to progress further than that. We're not thinking about how our future could be rosy. We're thinking about how do we get out of this mess? And part of the problem with that is that we don't really understand what real freedom is and what it looks like. Real freedom is beginning to move into a transformational pattern. Real freedom is, yes, being delivered from those things that oppress us, but real freedom gives us the liberty to move forward into something beyond what we thought was possible. And as we move forward, we begin to experience more of the fullness of what it is we were called to be. We're allowed to suddenly have the ability to, to engage hope. When, when they were enslaved, they had no sense of that. All they wanted to do was have some relief for their discomfort, some relief for the things, their, the stress and the pain that they were going through. They weren't thinking of having their own place somewhere with a white picket fence. They weren't thinking about any of these things. All they wanted to do was be free. And I do believe that when we are in a place of oppression, all we're really thinking about is somehow getting liberated from that. That's only the beginning of freedom. But with freedom comes responsibility. And the responsibility is to walk in newness of life, to walk with a new sense of purpose. As a slave, they had no purpose except what their masters said that they had to do. They had no hopes, aspirations, and dreams that were beyond what was common to them. They knew nothing outside of that place of slavery. And they knew that it was going to be one generation after another following through in the same way with their taskmasters over them. But one of the things that we find in the way the story unfolds is that progressively God was showing his hand of power with one demonstration after another with the plagues that was challenging all the gods of Egypt, that was challenging Pharaoh, as we mentioned also, who thought himself as a god. And God humbled the people and humbled the nation and humbled Pharaoh by the demonstration of his power. But demonstration of his power is not enough. 
You know, when people are oppressed, one of the things that happens oftentimes is that as liberation comes, the oppressed become the oppressor. Happens all throughout history. As they have been mistreated, they only know that when you're in power, you mistreat. And so it was, it's often said that now it's my turn. And so people don't fully understand that freedom doesn't mean that we're free to do whatever we want. But real liberty and freedom opens up a whole new area to reconsider, to think about a whole new future, a whole new way of thinking, instead of trying to have just a, a, a role reversal that now those coming up, you know, it used to be um, uh, you don't hear the same kind of stories anymore uh, about the post office. You know, we'd say, uh, he went postal. Remember that? That was always the idea that if you saw that the nature of the community, if you want to call it that, was that when you were in charge, people were treated like garbage. They do their job, but everybody kind of went along with it because at the time, it was if you got in with the post office, you had a job for life. All of your benefits, everything else, you could not be fired. Things have changed over time. But here's the thing that happened. When somebody would move up out of that place where they're being lorded over and people would take it because they've got security. And then somebody, as they moved up, would suddenly think, now that I'm in charge, I get to do what was done to me. And if somebody did happen to be losing their job, they went postal. Why did they go postal? Because all of the benefits and all of the things were sustaining them for the time that they were being abused, if you will. But when that was taken away and the security was removed, they said, why did I do this? And they went in and they went crazy. And they shot up the place, stuff like that. Hasn't been that way for a long time, but that was one of the mindsets that was there. And that mindset carries over. People will tolerate a lot of things if there's a certain element of security that's tied to it. They'll allow themselves to be in an abusive relationship because the idea of doing something outside of that is alien and more fearful than the suffering that they're used to. It's important because all of us on some level, when we go through difficult times, make decisions that, that are very similar, maybe not as explosive, maybe not as, um, uh, as extreme as these stories would be, but still, it's there and it's working in us. And God wants to bring about a whole new way of viewing things. And so what's interesting is that he says in this opening part, after Pharaoh let them go, you say, there was your freedom. You're free. You can leave. It says God did not guide them to the highway that goes through the land of the Philistim because it was close by, God thought that the people upon seeing war might change their minds and return to Egypt. Well, that is also the kind of case when you see with marital abuse, spousal abuse, where the woman will come in and she's bruised and, you know, a black eye, and they'll say, what happened? I, I, I tripped. And they said, did he beat you? She said, well... He said he's sorry, he loves me, he's not going to do it again. And then it happens again. This is the mindset. It's hard to think of pulling away from something even as oppressive and terrible as that because it's familiar. The unknown is more scary oftentimes. And life is made up of the unknown. It's always changing. We make our plans and then life happens and we adjust. And God uses those things to develop character and to develop us in that way. Well, he says that he didn't want to put them out of a 
deliverance from slavery right into a war experience. And so he took them in a roundabout way. But then right at the beginning here, they go out and they come to the desert and they have the cloud by day and the fire by night. Very powerful demonstration that God's presence and power is there. And yet all they're thinking about is the mindset of a slave. And all of a sudden they come to the edge of the water and they realize that they're at the edge of the water, nowhere to go. Pharaoh looks and says, we've got them trapped now. Let's get them. And God was setting it up. And at one point here, the people cried out, why did we ever leave? Why did we ever go? How quickly they forgot. They had freedom, but they weren't sure what to do with it. And now the first challenge that comes along, and they forgot about how God delivered by a mighty hand. And so they decided it would have been better for us to stay there than to die out here. And we hear that repeated over and over again as they go through their time in the desert. But we see the hand of God move. At one point, he says, God, what are we going to do? And he says, get up off your face. <laughs> he says, why are you crying to me? Raise your staff and part the waters. And we see this happening. We saw God move in a very powerful way. But even after that, at the end of this section, there was a point where the Amalekites attacked the weaker and the slower of the group leaving. And God gives a statement at the end where he says, don't forget what they did. And so we see later on, of course, we have Purim coming up, and we see the offspring of the Amalekites causing, again, destruction. But what I'm saying is this. They went from a place of liberation out of their slavery into challenges that made them think they should have stayed there. And yet God, each step of the way, was showing himself faithful to bring them to a new level that they had no ability to comprehend, a life that they could not even contemplate. So how could they have reference for it if they've never experienced it? And God was taking them through each challenge, each circumstance, each, each moment that seemed like another oppressive moment, an impossible opportunity, God used to bring about and show them his faithfulness to bring them through that. When we look at the passage in Galatians, uh, he is describing something here that is, again, very similar. Uh, he says, what the Messiah has freed us for is freedom. Now, you might look at that and say, well, that's kind of pretty obvious. He freed us. The re he, what, what does it say? It says, Messiah has freed us. What he's, what he's freed us for is freedom. And you might say, well, duh, of course, freedom. But what is it? He says, therefore, stand firm and don't let yourself be tied up again to a yoke of slavery. So we saw the slaves in Egypt. And their desire at the first challenge was not to walk in the power of liberty and freedom, was to say, why did we ever leave? And they wanted to once again be yoked back into a place of slavery because it was familiar to them and because they could not comprehend the fullness of what God wanted to do in their lives. And he goes on to say this. There's a lot of little details that are in here, but uh, he says um, in verse... Um, he mentions this. He says in verse 7, he says of Galatians 5... You were running the race well. Who has stopped you from following the truth? Whatever means of persuasion he used was not from the one who calls you. It takes only a little chumetz, a little leaven, to leaven the whole batch of dough. And he says this just a little bit further. In verse 13, he says, For brothers, you were called to be free. 
Only do not let that freedom become an excuse for allowing your old nature to have its way. Instead, serve one another in love. Now, when you say, how do you let freedom become an excuse to allow your old nature to have its way? In that place of liberty, when all of that oppression is removed, we can think that to be free means we're free to do whatever we want. Free to do whatever we want. And that's not what he's talking about. Uh, somebody would take the passage that says, we're not under the law. And take that as an excuse to say, what, we are lawless? We are without law, that we don't need law anymore. We don't need anything like that. All the boundaries are now removed. We do whatever we want. It says later on in the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own sight. Is that freedom? Or is that, once again, using the freedom to bring about what it said here, don't let your freedom become an excuse for allowing your old nature to have its way. Serve one another in love. And it is this idea that what does real freedom look like? Real freedom looks like a developing, expanding, progressive revelation of God transforming our hearts, not just taking off the shackles that were holding us bound, but now giving us an ability to say, now that you have mobility and you can move, I want you to enter into something you've never known existed before. Something that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, but are revealed by God's Spirit. And as we move forward, God begins to show us what real freedom looks like. And the real freedom looks like intimate relationship with Messiah. It looks like loving your neighbor as yourself. It looks like something that is developing to make transformation and to move into another level of life that we didn't know. And yet when these different challenges come along, we may find ourselves using our freedom to liberate our old nature to once again return back to that. That's not what God wants. And the place you can tell is that when the challenges come along, how we respond to those challenges. And if we respond to those challenges by saying, get me out of here, I mentioned before about Madame Guillon. She was a Catholic woman who had such an intimate, powerful relationship with God that it says popes and bishops trembled in her presence because of God's presence in her life. And there was a point where she had been, I mentioned this before, she had been from an affluent family. And their thought was, if we put her in prison, she will break. And they put her into prison, not like the popular prisons we have today that have gyms and everything else and saunas and everything else you could ever imagine. But this was with the slime and the mold and the water and the, all the elements, the rats and all of that. And she wrote from prison saying, the walls shine with the glory of God's presence. Why wasn't she complaining and saying, I'm not supposed to be here? Why was she not fighting and saying, I want, what's the term we have today, um, justice? She had a presence of God. She had what I would call a life of freedom. It was such that she could pray for those who oppressed her. See, you could look at the Bible and say, pray for those who despitefully use you. And you could say, well, I'm praying for you. I hate your guts, but I'm praying for you. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, pray for them even though you don't, you don't, even though you don't feel like it. He's saying that if you understand what it is to be liberated and free by the Spirit of God, you're automatically seeing things from a different perspective. You're not viewing it from the place of somebody who was oppressed. You're not looking to point out how oppressed you've been and how bad it's been and to have commiserie with all those who have suffered. 
but you are standing there and recognizing that we've been called to a higher calling, to a higher place, and the freedom now to be able to walk in newness of life, the freedom to be able to meet every challenge, the freedom that liberates us that when we look around at those who would oppress us, we look around and say, Lord, they really need you so bad. I remember, it's not a biblical reference, but I always loved that one scene from Hook. You remember Hook? And there was a one scene where the, the daughter, she said something like, she said, he needs a mommy. It's like she saw beyond his ruthless and his character and his murderous ways and all. She looked beyond and said, he needs a mommy. And when we have, to me, we saw the, the brother was kind of sidetracked and oppressed by all of the stuff that they were doing to drag him away from, from union with his father. They played up all the things that were wrong in his life, what he was missing, and how Hook was going to be for him, that new father. The little girl, she saw something else. She saw beyond all of it. And she said, he needs a mommy. And I would say this, that when we have the real freedom that God brings, and we begin to walk in that, we look at those things that are oppressive around us, and we're not for oppression, but we look with a different eye that says, God liberated me, God can liberate them. We start to look with that, and so when we pray for those who despitefully use us, those who are coming against us, it's not that we force ourselves to do it. It's that the transformation work inside of us by God is happening in such a way and we're walking in such union with him that everything looks very different. Our vantage point is not from below, but from above. Our vantage point is not from the mindset of an oppressed slave, but a liberated vessel that is getting to have the treasure of God in that earthen vessel so that the power of God can go forth and there is no limit to what God will do. And from that place of limitless supply, a person can pour themselves out even in the cases where they're not having it reciprocal. People say, well, I'll like you if you like me. You don't like me, I'm done with you. Imagine if Messiah did that. Imagine if he said, well, I'm willing to die on the execution stake, but you got to promise me you're going to really listen and you're going to do fine. You're not going to mess up. He already knows that humankind messes up. And it says, while we were yet rebels, Messiah died for us. When we look at Joseph just a little while ago, there was that moment you could say where he had a certain level of freedom. He was freed from the slavery. He was freed from the jail. He was now the second most powerful person in the world after Pharaoh. And yet he wasn't fully free yet. In fact, he had a better circumstance. But when he thought about his brothers and what they had done, he wasn't free until his brother, Judah, did something that he didn't expect. He had changed. He knew what it was to have lost two sons. He knew what it was that would be the sadness of his father to lose Benjamin after losing Joseph. He understood that and he said, take me instead, but let the boy go. That broke through, and that was the first moment of Joseph's real freedom. Because from that place, he saw and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He saw it, and he could speak to it, not from all the nasty things they did to him growing up, not from throwing him into probably the biggest sibling rivalry that would ever be. I mean, very few of us have ever had Maybe you've had fights with your brothers or sisters, but not to the point where you put them in slavery and wanted to, you may say I want to kill you, but it's not the same thing. The real freedom was not just coming out of jail. The real freedom 
was when he was liberated from an old way of thinking. He saw the potential for his brothers, even though they didn't see it either. In fact, later, mentioned this before, but later when his father died, they were still thinking in an old way. They thought, now that dad's dead, he's going to take it out on us. And he said, guys, this has been over for a long time. I told you what you meant for evil, God meant for good. There is, it's all gone. In their mind, it was still there. They lived in oppression in their own mind over what they thought Joseph would do. They lived in the fear of what he would do, and it was gone for years because he was freed. They were not. And so it's important for us to understand that even when we think we're free or in a better place, there is a liberation that God wants to continually, progressively develop us in. So when we look at the passage in Galatians, let me get this out of the way here. When we look at this, he says, in, um, he says that he's called us, uh, he says what the Messiah has freed us for is freedom. And what he says down below in verse 13, for brothers, you were called to be free. Only do not let that freedom become an excuse for allowing your old nature to have its way. We would normally think that if you're set free, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free indeed. To do what? You could say, I'm free and still be oppressed by whatever held you bound in the past. And if that liberty and freedom now gives you the ability to say, I'm going to utilize that freedom to become as an excuse to allow my old nature to have its way, I'm saying I'm going to go back into the bondage of what held me bound and not realize that what was holding me bound was more than just the circumstances that, oppressed me before, but something deeper. And God wants to get down to the core and transform us. He says, it is perfectly evident in verse 19, what the old nature does. It expresses itself in sexual immorality, impurity, and decency. It goes through all these things. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. Nothing in the Torah stands against these things. Since it is through the Spirit that we have life, let it also be through the Spirit that we order our lives. Listen to that again. Since it is through the Spirit that we have life, and a person would say, I've asked the Spirit in, I've got God's presence, I've got Messiah, I have life. He says, since it is through the Spirit that you have life, let it also be through the Spirit that we order our lives day by day. What he's saying is that we not only have a moment where we have received Messiah into our life, but his presence in our life is now directing and changing us day by day. And so he says that we have it in the Spirit. He says, but walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit is the level of freedom that allows us to go beyond whatever the limitations of this world have told us before. Whatever our circumstances said before, we go back to that low level, and when we do, we diminish the value of what it is that freedom, that freedom that has been purchased for us by the death of Messiah. When we go to another passage, I want to look for a moment in, um, uh, and it's also kind of funny because he says, he also says this, he says that we recall, he says, don't let your freedom become an excuse for allowing your old nature to uh, have its way. Instead, serve one another in love. Why does he say instead serve one another in love? Because in reality, the very people that we say we're with and united with are often the ones that cause the friction that causes us to go back to our old nature. We blame someone else. It's not me, it's them. I was real nice to them, and they treated me like dirt. And so I'm done with them. There's something wrong. That is not the new nature. Now, it's not to say that you allow abuse to continue. 
But there is something about an ability to see what God has called us to that is higher than what we thought the highest level was. There is no limit to what God can do. And he says, what I'm saying is run your life. He says, wait, for the whole Torah summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and, and then he says, but if you go on snapping at each other and tearing each other to pieces, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There will be this idea that you begin to take a defensive position against what you think is coming against you. And they take the same position and both are alienated and thrown back into an old way of thinking. And it diminishes the value of what God is saying. He says, but I'm saying to you is this, run your lives by the spirit and you will not do what your old nature wants. He wants us to be free from the old nature. He wants us to be free to be able to experience the wonderful things that God has for us. Now, if you look also at 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, we know the part that says um, that God in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowing the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. God, God's power has given us everything. That is a statement of fact. He's given us everything. But are we utilizing what it is he's given us? Or are we causing ourselves to be under our own house arrest? We're going to restrict ourselves because we can't imagine anything more. And so he says to them, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowing the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us valuable and superlatively great promises so that through them you might come to share in God's nature and escape the corruption which evil desires have brought into this world. He is saying that we have a choice of a new nature, but that the new nature is not just an improved nature. It's not just a little better than we were before. We're going up level by level. He's saying, no, he's saying everything we have for life and godliness comes through what? Through knowing the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. You say, oh, nobody good but God. Nobody uh, you know, could never be like God's glory. In it. But he's called us to emulate who he is. He's called us to experience something beyond what we could ever imagine on our own. And so he says, by these, he has given us valuable and superlatively great promises. So we say, oh, I've got all the promises. I've got a promise book. I've got a promise box. I pull that one up. There's my promise. I put it back. It's not a mechanical thing. It is a living experience. And what he's saying is, anytime God gives you something, ask the question or look right after what he's given it to us for. If he has given us grace, grace to do what? If he has given us his power, power to do what? Not just have it and put it on a card saying, I have grace and I have power. Wonderful. What are you doing with it? We saw that verse before where he says, uh, he says, what good is the grace if you don't do something with it? Paraphrase. But here he says this, by these he has given us valuable and spiritually great promises so that through them you might come to share in God's nature. That in itself is amazing, to share in God's nature. Well, that's certainly way beyond anything I ever thought of growing up. Certainly beyond anything I've seen, God's nature is actually a part of the promise that he's given us. Amazing. But it's more than that. That we might come to share in God's nature and escape the corruption which evil desires have brought into the world. This is very powerful. He says that he's given us these things and he tells us there is a step-by-step -step way. He says, for this very try to 
hard, try your hardest to furnish your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with perseverance, perseverance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you have these qualities in abundance, they keep you from being barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Indeed, whoever lacks them is blind, so short-sighted that he forgets that his past sins have been washed away. This is very powerful because God is wanting to do something with these promises that bring about real freedom, real liberty. In fact, if you look down a little bit further in chapter 2, um, verse... Let's see, verse 19. Uh, This is important, too, because there are always voices. Keep in mind, there are always voices that are promising freedom. You don't have to pay for your college anymore. You don't have to pay for any. Everybody makes promises. What's it going to cost? doesn't matter. It's going to pay for itself. Whatever you look at. People are making promises of freedom. And when you're under debt and when you're experiencing problems and you're looking at it, it sounds so good you're willing to take advantage of it. But here he gives a description. He says, verse 15, These people have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of doing harm. It says, waterless springs, verse 17, they are mists, driven by a gust of wind. For them has been reserved the blackest darkness. Mouthing grandiosities. I love this one in this translation. I don't know. This is always this is one of my favorite verses, I think, in the complete Jewish Bible. Mouthing grandiosities of nothingness. They play on the desire of the old nature in order to seduce the debaucheries people who have just begun to escape from those whose way of life is wrong. In the process of escaping, they're saying, not so fast. I can promise you things. And in these grandiosities of nothingness, it sounds so good. They're offering, and look what he says, verse 19. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For a person is a slave to whatever has defeated him. God wants us to be free. He wants us to have a heart that knows what it is to walk in newness of life. That who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, I don't know. I didn't look at the original language. But free indeed tells me that what I do determines how my freedom is doing. It's free indeed. Not just saying it's free, and that's for sure, but it's free in every deed we do. It's free, and it's liberating. And he says to walk in the light. He says also in, if you think about it, in life, it doesn't mean that when you have freedom, you no longer have stress, problems, or issues. Look what happened. We talked about this in Mark the other day in the Thursday night study. Yeshua has this amazing moment when the bat kol, the voice from heaven, says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And you see this powerful, the, the spirit of God descending like a dove, all this amazing thing. And what is the next thing you say? Now he's ready to go into his ministry. No, it says, then the spirit of God drove him into the wilderness to be tested by the adversary for 40 days. And in that, he was challenged, and he kept coming back to the Word of God. He kept coming back to that, not based on the circumstances, and saying, yeah, I am hungry. I'll just turn that rock into a piece of bread. That sounds good for now. Just temporarily. He wasn't seduced into what would be an old nature. He didn't have an old nature. But he was tempted like as we are, but without sin, not giving into it because he saw the higher level that he was called to and he always did what he saw the Father doing. He didn't act on his own, but submitted as an example for us to the Father. 
You know, I've, we, we talked about this the other day. They said, what was his life like before when he was younger? And you have some of the apocryphal books. They'll say, oh, he was out one day making a clay bird and then said, and made it alive. Absolute rubbish. He never did execute these things on his own. What we see is what they want us to understand, what God wants us to understand. His birth at 12 years old, the developing sense of God's word and having a presence and an understanding of truth and submitting to his family until 30 years old when he was immersed by Yohanan and then went out. And as this demonstration of power happened, he goes into the wilderness, comes out, and there his ministry begins. There the miracles begin to develop. There are those things because all of those challenges were in a small microcosm, like in 40 days, what Israel couldn't do in 40 years Messiah demonstrated and came out in the power of the Spirit and walked in the Spirit and walked in obedience to the Father. It isn't enough to say, well, I remember back in the day when the Spirit of God descended like a dove. It was really, it was the high point of my life. That wasn't the high point of his life. That was the beginning of entry into a new phase of life and a new dimension of his ministry and calling and purpose to come, to serve, and to die, to raise again and see this liberation and freedom become available for everyone who would believe. This is what it's talking about when it says of freedom, not using it, our liberty as a cloak to allow us to do the old nature, but to be able to experience God's blessing not listening to these other voices that promise freedom but produce nothing. God wants us to be able to grow in our walk with him. And he wants us, everything ties back into, I say it all the time, into intimacy with him. How do you have intimacy with him? We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We seek the face of God individually and collectively. We're starting, we've started these prayer times now, if you're able to come out uh, on Wednesdays during the day, to be able to have prayer. And they've been powerful times of prayer. It doesn't take a lot of people to do that. But as we have more people doing that, it'll take on a whole other dimension because we begin to walk in the freedom that we have. We begin to see spelled out for us in the Word, not just trying to find proof text for some doctrinal position we hold to, but we begin to see it as the very nature of God's milk, sincere milk of the Word, coming in and nourishing us and giving us an ability to understand a calling that is far beyond what we ever imagined, what we ever thought or imagined. And it is this kind of a thing. You know, people will say, well, once saved, always saved. And it's a silly argument to say you can lose your salvation or once saved, always. It's a silly argument because, again, when you say, somebody says, well, I know somebody, they were a really strong believer, and then they ran and they denied the Lord. And the answer to the one who says, once saved, always says, but was he ever really saved? You know, if we're going to get down to try to figure it out, you see, one of the things that is clear from the Scripture, not talking about if you lose salvation, what we see in the Scripture is that God is constantly allowing us to be in situations that challenge us. And in the process, to see God's faithfulness provide each time a way of escape to bring us to a place of freedom, to bring us to a life that is beyond what I has seen or near has heard. And as we do, he begins to open up for us these things. So we need to spend time in, in the Word. You know, the one thing we see of Yeshua when he was in the wilderness was he didn't say, well, I have to disagree with you on that because theoretically and statistically, anybody who follows after is going to be missing the mark. He went right to the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Him only will you serve and no one else. He goes to the word 
And it was the fresh word because during that period, it was going through the book of Deuteronomy. And he quoted all three from that book. He was familiar with the passages. He was familiar with the context. We need to spend time with the Lord and let the Spirit of God make his word alive in us. Some people will say, well, I don't just go by the word. We've gone beyond that. I'm led by the Spirit. I remember Pastor Smith years ago in Philadelphia. He said, if you found something deeper than the word of God, you found the bottomless pit. And I never forgot it because we try to think, well, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling the spirit. But you know when it says, this, it says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It doesn't mean A or B. Are you going to go with spirit that ki- the letter that kills or the spirit that gives life? Well, I'm going to go with the spirit that gives life. You've got to look at the context. The letter alone kills. And I've seen people use verses of Scripture to slash people to death with self-righteous words and challenges and arguments. But when you look at it this way, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life to the letter, and it's the life to the letter by the Spirit that brings to our remembrance whatsoever he said. How does he bring to our remembrance whatsoever he said if you haven't heard what he said? We need to spend time in his word. We need to take that in and allow him to make his presence known. He says he honors his word above his name. And yet, we neglect oftentimes to spend time in his word. And then prayerfully have time in his word so that his spirit can reveal to us an understanding of that. So that the new nature is not based on our description of what we think improvement looks like, but what God says is settled in his word and what God quickens to our hearts. That's why when you go through the word and you read passages that you've read before, at certain times you get a rhema, you get a revelation, an insight, and you say, oh, wow, I never saw that before. How many times I've read this and look at this, and you begin to apply it in a whole different way. Verses that become life verses and not just stopping over points for temporary relief of difficulty and stress. But they become these valuable places that change us and change our understanding. We discover the liberating freedom, real freedom, looks like someone who puts all their attention and affections on the Lord, who walks in union with him, who allows him to be at the center of everything. You can have a sinner's prayer and ask Yeshua to come into your life. If you've never have, I would say do that, yes. But that is not the end of it. You say, well, I'm going to wait a while because uh, I don't expect to die real soon and I want to go to heaven. So at some point after I do what I want to do, I will make a decision, and then it'll be okay. You're missing the whole point. If all God wanted to do, and I've heard it said by other preachers, if all God wanted to do was get you to heaven, he would save you and kill you the next minute, and then you can't mess up. It's not the only thing. It's the process and the life that we are living in the Spirit. It's the life of commitment to Him. It's a life of getting to know Him better and trusting Him more. It's it's building that relationship and becoming something that we never knew we could be. And as we do, we keep moving forward moment by moment, day by day. I mentioned uh, Martha Wing Robinson, one of the things that she had said. Most people don't know who she is, but if you knew it, she said this. She said, when Yeshua first set souls to loving him, he wants them to see him all the time. And if they're very much in earnest, they live that way, moment by moment. And it is that moment by moment relationship with him, which is the very essence of the freedom he's talking about. What does freedom look like? It looks like intimacy with Messiah. It looks like union with him. It looks like loving your neighbor. It looks like something that happens by the power of God's Spirit living in us and acknowledging that in everything we do. 
So yes, I would ask, if you've never asked Messiah into your life, ask him in. That's the beginning. That's the introduction. But then from there, grow in our understanding. Grow in his word. Pray and seek his face. Let him make his presence known. Let him take us to the edge of the water and say, where do we go from here? I can't see any way out. And say, I'll prove myself faithful. And the waters part. Or when they come to another place where they don't. And God speaks in those places. And in each place, we get to know and trust him more because we saw it as impossible. He did the impossible. I would venture to say, and I'm going to close with this, I would venture to say that if we were living in that day, we might say, how could they have had unbelief when they saw the power of God move in such a powerful way? And you know what I would say? Don't judge. How do we make decisions when we've seen the power of God working in our life and we lean back to the old understanding. We go back to the old nature because it's beyond us to see how it could ever be more than it was or is. We do the very same thing. God wants us to have real freedom. Freedom to walk in the Spirit. Freedom to walk in a way that allows us to look at those who are against us. To look at them and, and say, how can I bring restoration into their life? How can God use me to be a vessel? To be like Stephen who said, don't hold us to their charge. As he was being stoned to death. There is something about the presence of God which is the key to freedom to walk in union with him. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the promises that are beyond our expectation, these great and precious promises that are available to us, everything pertaining to life and godliness that we have in you. Help us to walk in a manner that is pleasing before you. Help us to take hold of what we have been taking hold of you for, that we would grow in the fullness of time and in the fullness of your spirit. Lord, help us to understand that freedom is not just a temporary thing, but it is a lifestyle that you have called us to. With you at the center, we can experience beyond anything we could ever imagine. Lord, thank you so much. In Yeshua's name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about Beth Zion, please visit our website at www.bethzion.org.